welcome to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks, perspectives in medicine. During our program, we continue to cover a variety of hot topics in the sports medicine world and more. Today on six to eight weeks, we are going to continue in our series on getting into residency. We've chatted about how to choose programs to apply to, what program directors are looking for with program director J.I. Engar, and we're going to continue with how to prep for that interview process. For a little bit of orientation, the residency match follows what many other jobs follow. An initial screening process where your paper file is reviewed, followed by an in-person, or sometimes in this era, a Zoom interview. This is often thought of as a make-or-break period of time where you get peppered with questions about you, your background, maybe some questions about your resilience and how tough you are, and even some physical and mental challenges. And you have between 5 to 15 minutes within each interview to prove you really do belong to a room of essentially strangers. So some facts about this residency process. There are over 40,000 people applying to be new doctors this year through the match. When we look at how competitive it is, it really depends on specialty. For example, there are 76 orthopedic surgery spots in California. Last year, 76 filled. There are 18 in Maryland, 18 filled. In Kentucky, there are 10, and all 10 of those filled. But in other fields like general surgery, only 70 to 80% filled, even in highly desirable locations, including California and New York. Within this competitive environment is the interview, an incredibly stressful situation, which is the last chance for applicants to impress the faculty and residents at a specific location. It's still an uphill battle. For many programs, only about 10 to 20% of applicants that get interviews end up at that location. Not to mention, it's expensive in time, money, and the emotional labor needed to excel in this very pressure-packed short period of time. So with that as a background, let's talk about the interview process, what we're looking for, how much it matters, and how to succeed in your interview. All right. Welcome, Drew and Nirav. I wanted to ask you, first of all, it's been a little while. For me, it's been, gosh, 21 years since I did my interview process, and I still remember it, not like it was yesterday, but Drew, it's been about 12 to 13 years, and Nirav, about 15 to 16 years. What was your most memorable resident interview experience? One of the most memorable experiences I had I went into the room, started having a nice conversation with the interviewer, and then he just stopped and he said, you're not going to come here. And I was very taken aback. It, it was like totally just off topic and wasn't really sure how to respond at first. And then I looked at it, you know, just as him wanting me to really prove my interest in their program. But it definitely threw me for a loop and it turned from a, kind of a nice conversation into more of a challenge. Like, you know, I took the time to like I'm here interviewing, I'm I'm interested in the program. This is what I'm looking for. This is what you all offer. This is where I'm trying to be. And But it was definitely a different style and one that stood out for me. What about you, Nerev? Yeah, kind of a, a similar experience. I was at a program on the East Coast and as the, I think it was the program director was actually looking through my CV and, and interviewing me. They're like, wait a second, you didn't, you didn't rotate here? We don't typically interview people who don't rotate here. We must've made a mistake. And just kind of went on for like 10, 15 minutes, kind of calling the administrative assistant and wondering why I had gotten an, an interview. It's a very awkward interaction where I was like, I'm here. I flew out, you know, for this interview. So I agree, kind of similar to Drew, where people are kind of figuring out why you're there or did they make a mistake for bringing you in during the interview process, which obviously reflects poorly on the program in terms of their preparation, as well as makes you feel bad as an applicant when you have limited resources and have flown halfway across the country to prove that you can be there. 
I think that's one of the mistakes that interviewing programs do is that we tend to assume that there's the right person for each individual program. And we really can't tell that, especially if we haven't met you yet. And I think one of the things that happens to a lot of people, whether they're interested in one location or they have a strong research background or they have something else that makes them really unique, that programs that don't on paper really fit, they tend to be blown off by the programs. I think that happened to me in multiple locations. They said, you're really interested in research. We don't have as strong of a research program. But the flip side is we also know it's a competitive environment and the applicants are going anywhere where they got an interview for the most part. So Drew, you may well not have been interested in that place as much as other places, but at the same time, you were also told go to every interview process. So it's really an unfair question to ask, but I think it does still does come up, unfortunately, where you hear applicants say, yeah, I was asked why I would want to go to this program in a kind of more challenging way. Yeah. Now we've done these resident interviews for years now. First off, what is the best advice you can give in case people basically want to check out after this or they're on their way to their interview and they need one piece of advice to hold with them? You know, I think probably the the best thing I would tell people is be honest, you know, don't try to put forward a a persona of kind of who you want to be, because at the end of the day, programs want to know who you are as an individual. I mean, by the time you get to orthopedic residency application processes, everyone has the research, everyone has done well in their rotations, but it's really about personality fit and match. And the last thing you want to do to the program or and yourself is pretend you're someone you're not, because then you're going to be miserable for those years and the program will not be able to kind of maximize your education. So be honest, be open be yourself. There isn't any kind of one template and be professional. I think in this era of Zoom and not having a lot of in-person interviews for people, especially during the pandemic years, it is still an interview like you're interviewing for a job. So it's, it's important to be professional and not be too leisurely in terms of how you approach the process. What about you, Drew? What is your one piece of advice? I think the best thing that I did was to prepare for all the questions that you know you're going to get. You know that somebody's going to ask you, why are you doing orthopedic surgery? Why do you want to come to our program? Where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? Those types of very straightforward questions. And you can spend time before you're just sitting in that room to really think through, you know, what is driving me to this field? What do I want to do with my career? And have thoughtful, well-described answers and make sure you hit all the points that you want to. One of the things that I did for residency interview, I didn't do it for medical school interviews, but I found it to be really helpful was I got an interview question book. And it was geared towards job applications and just traditional job interviews. And some of the questions were clearly not things that would come up in orthopedic surgical residency interview, but just thinking through those questions and how will I answer this? And even just writing out my ideal answer and then reviewing it and knowing, you know, what I'm going to say, I think just that preparation, because then during the interview, you, you know, you have that feeling that. I know what I'm going to say. I know, you know, my thoughts are formed. I'm focused. And I think you come off much more polished and thoughtful and kind of know what you want out of it too. Okay. So you stole my answer. My answer was going to be, be prepared and take notes after each interview. So if you have 10 interviews, you should have pages of notes because the questions tend to repeat themselves. Like you said, we're always going to ask why orthopedic surgery or why general surgery or why are you interested in our location? My second answer to how best to be ready is learn the program that you're interviewing in and have specific questions. Because if you get through the questions in a room and they say, do you have any questions 
for us, you want to have specific questions that are related to the program, not general questions that are clearly space fillers. So knowing that you've at least looked through the website or you have questions about the curriculum or the education or things that you can't find on the website, like where do people typically go for fellowship? What are challenges that the program directors or the residency directors have had recently and how have they changed the programs? I think having stock questions for that last couple of minutes is really helpful to show that you are engaged and interested, especially in those places where you didn't do an away rotation. To expand on that a little bit, your point about taking notes, I think one thing that's really helpful also is taking notes after the interview on your impressions, especially as people do you know, 10 plus interviews and some of them just back to back, these places really start to look similar. You kind of forget where you've been and what stood out, but writing out, you know, what you thought, what you took away, kind of the strengths or, you know, downsides that, you know, that program may have then as you're putting together the list later on, it can be hard, like, oh, well, that third interview, did I like it? What did I take from it? Or there's been so much more that's happened between that third interview and when you put your list together. Excellent. I totally agree. I think that like that first impression sense, as well as what did I really get out of that is super important. What are the common questions that you should be prepared for? Let's say this is now mid-November, you're getting your next interview is only in a week. What are some things that you should be prepared for right away? Yarev, what questions do you see always asked? I think besides the one we mentioned about why did you go into orthopedics? I think a lot of times you get the question, tell us a time you failed and what did you learn for it? I think, you know, kind of reflecting on your coping skills, what you say during that answer also kind of goes into resiliency and, and kind of also ties into leadership. I think that's another question to get asked as well, too. So I think those personal characteristics of how you deal with failure or difficult situations, which are important for a program to get a sense of, I think are really important. And it has to be something, I think, with a little bit more depth. Everyone always says, well, you know, I, I had this one difficult time on a rotation where I didn't get the grade I wanted. You you want to sh- expand a little bit more than just something that's very, very superficial. So I think that's key. And that's something you can prepare and have for every interview. So when people don't have a good answer for that question, then you get a little bit worried as to why they're not prepared for it. So I have to admit for my, well, I won't say where, but it was an East Coast program. Somebody asked me, well, when did you fail? And I blanked and I came up with a good discussion about surfing. Um, unfortunately they had never surfed. So then I spent most of the time discussing all the different terms about surfing, like duck diving, paddling out, purling, and it was absolutely atrocious. And I realized about a third of the way through, I should have picked something different, but I dug my heels in and that was (laughs) It is a balance though. I think when we ask you about what something that it was a challenge in your life or something you failed We want you to be somewhat vulnerable and pick something, but at the same time, we also respect the fact that there may be things in your life that you don't necessarily want to talk about. So we're not going to necessarily judge you on something that you picked. It's more how you talk about it. Drew, what about you? What questions do you see come up over and over? Another area is research. I think the talking about what you've been able to do on a research side If you have a few papers published, if you have 50 papers published, know what you've worked on, what those projects were, the goals, the hypotheses, the design of the study and the the findings. And a a really common question is just, hey, you've done a few different research projects. Walk me through the one that mattered the most to you. Why did it matter? What did you take from it? What did you learn from it? What was your role in it? And that type of question is totally something you can anticipate 
and and really think through that ahead of time. And then I think also on the research side, if it's something that you say is important to you, then having some thought on what you would do in the future. And it doesn't have to be like a perfectly flushed out project, but I think the weaker answers are usually something like, well, I want to do biomechanics or, you know, I want to solve arthritis and leave it at that. Mm. Where if you say, well, I would like to, you know, study this condition and have, you know, some thought on some of the experiments you would design or how you would approach it, what you would need to do that. And then if you are really looking towards it, like who would you collaborate? Like who would you try to learn from at that place and say, you know, they've been doing this line of research. I'd like to learn more about that and work in that area. I think that can kind of show what you're looking towards to see if that lines up with, you know, what that program is looking for. And then can also kind of demonstrate that you've put in the effort to see what's happening there and what you might do when you're there. I'm getting nervous with just you talking about it. So one of the things that I was worried about was they are going to pick a project that I don't remember that well, or I'm just not going to do a good job explaining. What would be your recommendation? You know, you're interviewing me. I've got some basic science stuff. I've got a couple clinical projects. And the interviewer says, walk me through this project. And this project is something that you didn't have much of a role on. Would you... Be honest and say, I didn't have that much of a role. Would you say, well, I don't remember. Let me tell you about the project. How would you approach that? Yeah, I think if it's something you weren't, you know, say you're a smaller contributor on that project, I think it's totally fair. Like you should still know kind of what you found and what the purpose was. And I think you could even just say like, well, this is what we were trying to do. This is what I did for that. It was a smaller role. I really felt like I contributed more in this project. Is it okay if I tell you this was something that meant a lot to me and this is how I helped in that project? And then, you know, there's always that, like, sometimes the interviewer sees something that they're really excited about. And it's like, oh, this is so cool that you worked on this. I'd love to hear more about it. And and then there's sometimes where it's just kind of randomly picked. And it's like, yeah, sure. Tell me about the one that you actually worked on because that'll be more interesting for me to hear about. Yeah, I think that's totally true. The biggest problem, I think, is when you over-exaggerate your role. And the worst part that can happen is you over-exaggerate your role. And the person that's interviewing you knows more about the methods than you probably did. And then you're going to get questions on methods. And I remember talking about a project. And thankfully, I had said, look, I we built this CDNA library. They don't even exist anymore. So don't worry, it's nothing that shows up anymore. And they started drilling down on it. And I was like, by we built, I meant (laughs) tried. It took a year. I kind of did this, this, and this, but I didn't do this part down here, which is what you're asking about. And thankfully, they moved on to another project. What about you, Nirav? What is your favorite question to ask? Oh, God. I like the failure question a little bit. Like, tell me a time you failed. You know, I actually do get a lot of, you know, insight as to why you're choosing this program. You know, I think that really gives insight, number one, how people have prepared. Because if people just say, oh, I love San Francisco, you know, that's everyone loves San Francisco. So I think that, you know. (laughs) Debatable. So, and it really gives me a sense of how much depth they looked in the program. I always find it very shows how people prepare when they know the interviewers ahead of time and they say, Hey, Dr. Feely, can you tell me about the basic science work that you do? Or, 
hey, tell me about Pete's ortho or Dr. Lanzon. Tell me about your experience at Rush and how it compares to being over here. Like when people take the time to prepare questions that reflect that they really looked into it, I think that's going to reflect well on them as a resident. So I think you get a lot of insight into, into that from asking them why us, as opposed to some of the more questions that they can kind of reflect on and use for every single program they go to. This really speaks specifically to us and why they may be a good fit here. Yeah. All right. In your eyes, how much does an interview really matter? And can you put a percentage on it? I think it's hard to put a percentage on. I think most of the decisions I think are made based on like everything the applicant has done, you know, especially for people who have rotated a lot more stock will be put on their month long experience rather than like the one hour experience. I think there are times where I think on the, you know, the written application, the accomplishments are like look fine. But then in talking to somebody, it becomes very clear, like, you know, wow, you did two papers, but like you did all this. And like, this is like, you've really pushed things ahead. And or this organization, like you've developed this, you've led this, like, this is, you know, really impressive. And I think for most people, it pretty much falls in line with the rest of the application. It can sway some, but it's not the, you know, the end all be all. Another, just another part of the whole process. <laughs> okay. Nira, what do you think? <laughs> I would say it's probably, for me, percentage wise, like 30, 35% important. I think wow. that you can, because of the power that it may hold to either really bump someone up above their application or completely eliminate someone. I mean, every year there's someone who says something that is, a little bit of a red flag and you can't necessarily get it out of their application because everyone's very good at playing the game of you get your grades, you get good letters, et cetera. Or someone who may not necessarily be great on paper, but just has such a energetic personality. So I think you can really kind of differentiate people who may be kind of middle of the pack. So I think it's important. I think the vast majority of people are pretty much reflective. Their application reflects who they are in an interview, but it does have the power to bump people up significantly or bump them down based on how they nail certain questions. So I think it makes a difference. All right. I was going to say about 10%, mainly because, like you said, if you absolutely wow somebody and it's concordant with your file, it basically seals it up. If you looked great on paper, you have a great interview across the board, you check all the boxes, it can really help you. If you are really solid on paper, the interview is absolutely a standard interview, you did really well, we probably aren't going to move you too much because we have you know, somewhere between three and a half to seven and a half years of data on how good of a person you are, how much you're interested in excelling in a research and clinical environment. But for those rare people that either lie during the interview and it happens about one time a year or really over-exaggerate their role in things, those tend to be the ones that really drop you down. So I think realistically, it doesn't hurt very many people. I think even if you look nervous during the interview or act nervous, we're not going to hold it against you. We understand it's a nerve wracking process. As long as you follow the general rules, you're going to be okay. I mean, I think when I was interviewing, I think, you know, one of the things that comes up sometimes is how important are these clinical rooms or these challenge rooms? And the place that I ended up at UCLA, they had asked me, they showed an x-ray of a distal radius fracture where the bone had not healed. I could not remember the word non-union to save my life. So I was sitting there and saying, the bone's trying to come <laughs> together. There's nothing happening. I, it, was, it was like plain taboo, but not saying any of the correct words for about seven minutes. And in the end, they were like, well, 
the word you're looking for is non-union. And then I had forgot that the word I was looking for was non-union. So I just had a blank stare on my face and this was in person. So it wasn't like it was Zoom. And in the end, they asked like, well, how would you do this? And then I kind of turned it around and said, well, now that I understand the bone's not healing, this is how I think we need to address this from a research standpoint. That research in hindsight wouldn't have worked, but at least I think I recovered. And it proves that even if you have one bad room, it's not going to be the end of the world. We kind of talked about this in terms of red flags. I'm going to jump to a rapid fire question as we wrap up. I'm going to ask you each this question and try to answer this in one to two sentences. Um, So Drew, starting with you, what's the least helpful question that you get asked in interviews by interviewees? I think Narav said earlier, sometimes it questions just very specific to the location. And then there's always the stock question of what changes do you anticipate happening in the next five years? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. What changes do you foresee coming? Yes. I 100% agree because that one is the, we can't answer, we don't know. And they're probably not going to be all that relevant to the residency. We may be purchasing a new hospital. We may have new leadership, but the residencies all move on. All right. Second question. Does it matter Zoom versus in-person, especially if you're given that choice, at least for the interviewee, does it make a difference in terms of how we grade you? I don't think it makes a difference in terms of how we grade you, but I feel that there's a lot more that Zoom, everyone's pretty much the same. You know, I think there's less variability. I think in person, you can definitely differentiate people a little bit more just because I think you, you can't prepare and there's a little bit of safety behind a screen. You can have your answers up on a page. I think in person can help differentiate people a little bit. Yeah, I think the other thing for in person is just the side conversations, having lunch with a group of people from the program, you know, interacting between interview rooms, things like that, that you miss on Zoom, and just seeing how people work together, like what the, you know, the general feel of the program is, I think that's harder to pick up on Zoom. I think evaluating an applicant, especially if everybody's on Zoom, I think it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a huge advantage for the people looking at a program because you really do get to see what everybody is like, not on Zoom. I don't think for the most part, we would grade people differently in a hybrid model because we understand there's financial time, et cetera, pressures that made you choose Zoom. And it's not necessarily you didn't want to come out. It was you couldn't come out. Yeah. All right. This is my favorite question. Thank you cards at the end. Does it make a difference in how you grade a person or thank you emails? No No. difference. No. No. Okay. If you didn't get one from your top applicant, are you going to grade them differently? No. No. I've always looked at it as their thank you is essentially them showing up for the interview. Yeah. You know, like that was acknowledging like, thank you for taking the time. I'm here. And I think it's just unnecessary for something like this where we're interviewing such a large number of people. They're going to so many places. Yeah. Totally agree. Final question. Do you put any stock into what people wear to the interview? Drew, you're a very professional person who wears polos to bed. So, (laughs) I I mean, I would say for something like this, I would expect people to dress professionally. And there would be some line where, yes, it would negatively affect it. (laughs) And I think it's just saying, like, I'm taking this seriously. This is an important step in my career and I'll show up dressed up for it. Yeah, if someone wears a Warriors jersey, they're ranked to match. 
Yeah, I think people worry about it a lot in terms of like, does the tie match? Is there a color tie? Is this professional enough for women? I think professional attire is very standard and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Hopefully this was helpful for all applicants going through the interview process. Please join us on six to eight weeks podcast.com and learn more about the entire process, how to excel as a sub I, what program directors are looking for. I think that one's really helpful in terms of framing some of these questions around specific programs. And hopefully we see you on the interview trail and beyond. Thanks for listening to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks, perspectives in medicine. What do you think of this topic? Connect with us now. In addition to finding our contact form, you'll also find our social media links in our entire six to eight weeks episode archive. Help us grow our listenership by liking, subscribing, and sharing everywhere. We're eager to hear from you, and we'll be sending you more great thought-provoking content in less than six to eight weeks.